Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Hey, you know what? I think we got about half the crowd. We got about half the crowd here, and I'm figuring, I'm figuring the other half will show up about noon. <laughs> Isn't today a good day to praise Jesus? Let's stand to our feet. And, uh, oh, on the count of three, let's all say, praise Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Praise Jesus. All right, let's kick it off in your hymnal 209. If you need the words to this, I don't think you'll need them, but you may need them. This is the day, and there'll still be people coming in for a while. And, uh, but we're going to go ahead and get the service kicked off in your hymnal 209. This is the day. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord Sing it again. Ready? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. That the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Okay, let's find about three or four people and say, this is the day that Jesus made. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, you guys are awake up. Have a seat, if you would. That's great. That was a good rousing song, wasn't it, to get everything started, wasn't it? Having a great. Hey, listen, we want to invite you to dinner on Wednesday evening at 6. Um, we have a potluck and Bible study at 645. 
Bill Gallagher will be leading the Bible study this Wednesday night, and he's going to continue the study on the life of Joseph. And uh, boy, I tell you, Joseph was, man, I don't know how he did it, but he did it, and that's awesome. And it's a picture of Jesus, too. Uh, Joseph is a good picture of Jesus. Woman's Bible study on March 18th, that's coming up. How's your attitude? And that starts at 10 o'clock, right? Yeah. How have the attitudes been? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was asked this morning if I was going to go to the woman's retreat, and I said if I did, they'd all retreat. So, you know. Uh, men's Bible study, that's on every Tuesday morning at 10, and that is uh, led by Pastor P.K., and he is in the Gospel of John, and that's at 10 o'clock. That's awesome. Uh, prayer requests, uh, Flo Downing's number is in the bulletin. Our, our psalm, our, our scripture is Psalm 28.7. The Lord is my strength and my shield in whom my heart trusts. I am helped so my heart rejoices with my song, I praise him. We did that this morning, didn't we? Yeah, I will rejoice. Um, Tops meets Thursday mornings at 8.30, and Quilters meets at 10 o'clock on Thursday. And we want to thank Heaven Sent Flowers for their wonderful uh, flower arrangements. Also, I just want to say to you, too, uh, I'm just so thankful for how generous you folks are you're just generous people and uh, you know it, it, the Bible says that when we give then more will be given to us and be pressed down shaken together and and running over and uh, our, our cup is running over I want to welcome a new uh, member okay into our fellowship So I wanted to remind everybody that we are still taking pictures, not today. We would like to make next week our last week of taking pictures for our directory. So if you haven't had your picture taken and filled out the paperwork, please do so next week. So we're going to try to make that the last week. Also, I had several requests for prayer, um, a list of people to pray for which I update every Wednesday and put on the uh, podium in the foyer. And I have as many there as I do when I leave them. So please pick one up. There are people that we can be praying for, and I make a, a list and try to update that every week. So. And then we also want to tell you about the women's oh. retreat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. It's called? The conference is called Empowered. And it's Laugh and Learn with author and speaker Allison McElroy with On3 Ministries. And she's, uh, she encourages you to take God-given authority over the issues women face every day. This is going to be a great conference. I'm hoping for 100. I've already got 30. And it's not even in the conferences in one month. So please, don't hesitate to join us. We're going to give you breakfast and lunch and we're gonna have a great time, make a craft, do all kinds of things that women like to do together. Thank you.
<laughs> also, in your bulletin, there's a connection card, which you can tear away, and uh, you can fill that out if you're here visiting with us today, or if you need prayer or special prayer on anything, if you'll put that in the offering plate. When the offering plate's passed here in a minute, then we'll uh, try to make sure we address those. Linda. You know, I hear there's a there's a class on how's your attitude uh, going on. <laughs> if you think that you can come to Butte Creek Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and celebrate Jesus without smiling, you're dead wrong. It ain't gonna happen. Let's stand our feet one more time in your hymnal 757. Stand, it on, stand to your feet if you're able, and we're going to sing soon and very soon. 757. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. No more dying there, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. 
should look in your hymnal 444. I love to tell the story, 444. Let's just lift this up to the Lord this morning.
Let's sing that chorus together. Ready? I love to tell the story. Feel free to stand if you want. Hallelujah. Lift it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You're my Savior.
are worthy. You're our Savior. Father, we do praise you. Lord, you gave us the, the greatest gift that anyone on the face of the earth can have, and that is the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your, your precious life, your horrific death, your resurrection, which gives us hope, your ascension into heaven, which gives us a picture of the rapture. And Lord God, we thank Jesus for interceding to you on behalf of our prayers father may you be glorified today may the name of jesus christ be exalted today we ask you for the filling of your spirit and we thank you for that lord we just pray that lord god you'd bless every aspect of this service for your glory in jesus name amen, amen. i love you lord and i lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul rejoice, take joy my King in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. I love thee. I love thee. I love thee. Oh. I love you, I love you, I love you, oh Lord. Oh man, that's awesome. Hey, a couple things real quick too. In your bulletin you'll see a couple of um, song lists and Pastor PK is going to lead us in that. So you might want to get that out. We want to take our offering now, so if the guys could come forward, we'd do that. I had several people this morning ask me why I'm here. <laughs> I said, well, because there's a board meeting and I don't want them to fire me. You know what I mean? Hey. <laughs> Now I had to come be with my family, huh? Isn't that what, isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. Amen. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll bless this offering, that you'll increase it to the good of this community, the good of this church, Lord, that we might reach our community for you. We pray that you'll help us to do that, Lord, and that you'll show us how to do it, Lord, in better fashion. 
And Father, we pray for all of the church services today that are speaking your word by means of your spirit. We pray that you'll bless them, bless the people that are hearing, bless the teachers that are teaching, Lord. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, my friends. Good morning, my eminence. Jeez, never learn. Anyway, because we are going to be discussing the subject of love a little bit today, I thought I would start with what three very intelligent people have to say about love. Here's Regina, age 10. I'm not running into love. Fourth grade is hard enough. Dave, age eight. Love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> I know that one, geez. Jill, age six. Love is foolish, but I still might try it sometime. Also, I ran across this beautiful prayer written by this woman for all of us to hear. She prays, so far today, I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I have not even charged anything on my credit card. However, I'm gonna be getting out of bed in a few minutes. 
and I will need a lot more help, lot more help after that. Anyway, the opening song is in your bulletin. It's a song I absolutely love called How Great Is Our God. Splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. Here we go. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God. How great is our God, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God, yes, He is. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, oh, we'll see how great, how great. Next is uh, going to be 1 Kings 19.8, but you don't have to look it up. I'm only going to be there a minute. I'll read it to you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? At the turn of the 12th century, or sorry, at the turn of the 20th century, there was an asylum in the suburbs of Boston which dealt with very severely retarded and disturbed individuals. One of the patients was a little girl who was simply called Little Annie. She was totally unresponsive to everyone in the asylum. The staff tried to, everything to help her, but was without success. She was eventually confined to a cell in the basement and given up as hopeless. But a beautiful Christian woman worked there and believed that every one of God's creatures needed love, concern, and care. 
So she began spending her lunch hours in front of little Annie's cell, reading her to her and praying God would free her from her prison of silence. Day after day, this woman continued visiting with little Annie talking to her, bringing her tokens of food on a plate, but there was never any response. Then one day, a brownie was missing from the plate. Encouraged, the woman continued to read to her and to pray. Eventually, the little girl began to answer the woman through the bars of her cell. Soon, the woman convinced the doctors to give little Annie another chance, and she was brought up from the basement. Within two years, little Annie was told that she could leave the asylum and enjoy a normal life. But she chose not to leave. She was so grateful for the love and attention she had received, she decided to stay and love others as she had been loved. Nearly a half a century later, the Queen of England held a special ceremony to honor one of America's most inspiring women, Helen Keller. When asked what she would attribute her success at overcoming the dual handicap of blindness and deafness, Helen Keller replied, if it hadn't been for Ann Sullivan, I wouldn't be here today. Ann Sullivan, who tenaciously believed in an incorrigible blind and deaf girl named Helen Keller, was Little Annie. Interesting. Little Annie. We'll come back to this later. The reason I'm sharing that with you. The time is about 875 BC in the northern kingdom of Israel near the city of Samaria. King Ahab is on the throne and the Bible says he was more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any king ever before him. Not only did he commit all kinds of sins against God, but he also married a pagan princess, a woman named Jezebel, and he began to serve her god, Baal. The situation is bad. The situation is bad. The nation of Israel is about as backslidden as it can be. The people have turned away from God and are now worshiping pagan deities of all description, especially Baal. One day, Elijah the prophet gets completely fed up with this apostasy and does something out of anger and frustration that he would never have normally done. He takes matters into his own hands and challenges the 450 prophets of Baal to a contest to see whether the Lord or Baal is greater. To keep a long story short, the Lord wins out easily, so Elijah, without consulting God, has the 450 prophets of Baal taken into the Kishon Valley and slaughters them. And this, is, this brings us to 1 Kings 19.1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life look like one of them. In the verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Ran for his life. At this point, he runs out into the desert, goes a day's journey, and finally collapses under a broom tree where he prays and asks the Lord to take his life. Then he falls asleep, and he's twice awakened by an angel of the Lord who feeds him bread and water and finally sends him on his way. And then this brings us back to where we started, 1 Kings 19.8. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's a very interesting question. You see, it can mean two very different things. It could mean, why are you here? What do you want? What can I do for you? How can I help you? And so forth. Or it could mean, what are you doing here with your time? Have you been fixing something? Have you been changing something? Have you been sweeping the floor, moving the rocks, singing a song, writing a sermon? What are you doing here? 
Frankly, I think both of these questions are equally important for us to answer when we come into the Mount, God's Mountain, which is our little church here. This is our cave. So let me first ask you, why are you here? And then I'll ask you, what are you doing here? First, why are you here? There are probably as many different answers for this as there are people in the church. But first and foremost, you are here because, hear me, you were called here by God himself. You were called here. First Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a big people belonging to God that you may desire the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. So you've been called out of the darkness and into his wonderful light and you're here by his call. Also, you're here to find comfort in drawing near to God. So your hearts can be comforted by drawing near to God. You're here to celebrate your salvation. You're here to refill God's power within you. You're here to learn a better understanding of God's word and God's ways. You're here to grow in grace. You're here to be healed, or maybe you just are here to become a better person. No one was surprised when Patty A. once stood up during the informal praise time Sunday evening at the Sunday evening service. A young Sunday school teacher with an air of quiet maturity, she had given birth to a healthy son a few months earlier, a first child for her and her husband, Jay. The congregation settled back for a report of the baby's progress and his parents' thanksgiving. They were totally unprepared for what followed. Hanging on to the podium before her, Patty began. Four years ago this week, she said, a young girl sat crying on the floor of a New Jersey apartment, devastated by the news of a lab report. Unmarried and alone, she had just learned that she was pregnant. The congregation grew completely quiet. Patty's tearful tear-choked voice indicated just who that young woman was. She writes, I considered myself a Christian at the time, but I had found out about Christ while in the drug scene. After I learned about him, I wanted to commit myself to him, but I couldn't give up my old habits or my old friends. So I was drifting between two worlds, in one still smoking dope every day and sleeping with the man who lived in the apartment below, in the other going to church, witnessing to others, and working with the church youth group. But being pregnant ripped through my hypocrisy of my double life. I had been meaning to get right with God, but I kept slipping back. Now I couldn't live a nice, clean Christian life like all those church people. I felt the only answer was to wipe the slate clean. I would get an abortion. No one in the church would ever know. The clinic scheduled an abortion date. I was terrified, but my boyfriend was adamant. In desperation, I wrote to my parents, they were staunch Catholics, and I knew they, wouldn't, they would support me if I decided to have the baby. My mother called me. If you don't get an abortion, I don't want to see you while you're pregnant. You will be ruined, and you deserve it. <laughs> I had been desperately dependent on other people, but I knew that this was one decision I had to make alone. I was looking out my window bedroom one night when I thought clearly for the first time in weeks. I realized I either believed this Christianity or I didn't believe it. And if I believed in Christ, then I couldn't do this. God is real, I thought, even if I've never lived like he is. The decision was a point of no return. I put my faith in God of the Bible, not the God I had made up in my head. I was still everything I never wanted to be, pregnant, alone, deserted by my family, and rejected by the man I loved. Yet for the first time in my life, I was really peaceful because I knew for the first time I was being obedient. 
When I told the obstetrician of my decision, he refused to charge me for the prenatal care and delivery. I had a beautiful baby girl named Sarah. She was placed with a childless Christian couple, and we all felt God's hand in the decision. And so that's why I praise God this evening. My life was ruined, but because of that very despair and obedience, I have what I never thought I could have, a godly husband and now a baby of our own. But what matters more than anything is that I have, I have what I was searching for so desperately for, peace with God. It's very interesting. What I have found in my own life, and I'm going to see them in my notes, in my own life, nothing has changed it more than surrendering myself over to the Lord. I found complete peace with him. I gave him everything. I don't care about being famous. I don't care about being rich. I don't care about any of that stuff. Lord, I just want you to be glorified through the things I do and say, period. And it creates a sense of peace in you you maybe never had if you haven't tried doing it. You'll find, I found the peace that passes all understanding in my own life. I, know, I never expected to, but that's how you get there. <laughs> you start acting like a Christian should act. Anyway, sometimes all of us attend church simply to become better Christians, better people, and thereby have better lives. Here's what Jesus says. King James puts it this way in John 10.10. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. In the early Greek, the word abundantly meant to have a superabundance of something. And the phrase abundant life refers to life in its abounding fullness of joy and strength for spirit, spirit, soul, and body. And so this is one of those rare times I actually prefer the NIV version of this text. The NIV puts it this way, John 10, 10. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. It's a really easy thing to understand. You're not only going to have a better life, you're going to have it to the full. You're going to get it as good as it gets. You're going to have it as good as it gets. And that's perfectly and wonderfully good reason for why you are here. Second, what are you doing here? In some, perhaps, in some respects, this list is even more important than why are you here because it's what we do as Christian, Christians that draws people to Christ. It's what we do. English missionary Florence Alshuren wrote, a young RAF pilot said to a Christian, don't tell me what you think. Don't work for my salvation. Just show me yours. Show me it's possible and the knowledge that something works will give me the courage to believe. I also like to note that my fraternal twin brother, Mike, who lives in Laguna Beach and has passed away a couple of years ago, he teased me for five years about being a Christian because we had been kind of raised Christian scientists. We knew nothing about anything. But then one day he called me and he said he'd become a Christian too. When I asked him why, what happened, he said, I just finally realized that every family in Laguna Beach that I truly admired were Christians, so I became one. <laughs> in other words, it's not so much what we say to people, but what we do for people and how we act around people that draws them to Christ. Draws them to Christ. Here are some possibilities for what we can do in this church. God's little cave wherein we meet, we can greet people as they arrive, we can ask to sing with the worship team, maybe get on. We can pray for others who are struggling. We can help to distribute elements for communion. We can assist with the teaching of our children. We can bring tasty treats to potlucks. We can sit next to people who seem lonely. We can help others to clean up after the service. We can attend the church Bible studies and other church get-togethers. We can contribute faithfully to the church offering 
and we can share God's perfect love with anyone who needs it. Now about love. In the epistles, there is a powerful verse which may be one of the most important sections of all scripture. It goes like this, 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, have perfect love among yourselves. Above all, that's a big saying. What does that mean? It means above all. It means the single most important thing you're gonna be doing here is have fervent love among yourselves. And, and here's what love is, 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. I like how the Apostle Paul divided this up, the various qualities of love in his letter to the Corinthians. He tells them and us what love is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do, and what it never does. First, he tells us what love is. It's patient and it's kind. When I'm performing a marriage ceremony, I often read this, love is patient, love is kind to the couple. And I'll say, frankly, we could stop right here. That's because if people would just be patient and kind with one another, most of their problems would just evaporate. And by the way, this little note to the couples about patience and kindness always reminds me of two old jokes. Bear with me. It is said in all history only Adam and Eve had an ideal marriage. That's because he didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married, and she didn't have to hear, she didn't have to hear him talk about how his mother used to cook. <laughs> and uh, second, let's see. Oh, there he is. Oh yeah, this is, this is more. There's a church bulletin, this is true. Irving Benson and Nancy Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in school. Their marriage killed their friendship. <laughs> it wasn't meant to say that, but that's what it came out. So I don't share these jokes with the couple, but I thought I'd share them with you. Anyway, Paul tells us what love isn't. It isn't jealous. It isn't boastful. It isn't rude. It isn't self-serving. It isn't hot-tempered. Third, Paul tells us what love doesn't do. It doesn't keep a laundry list of other people's mistakes, and it doesn't find joy in dark and unsavory behaviors. Fourth, Paul tells us what love does do. It always cherishes and honors truth. Remember that, truth. It always protects and brings comfort. It always assumes the best of others and of life. It always remains optimistic and confident. It always strives to keep shining through no matter what. Fifth, and finally, Paul sums up everything with this golden nugget. Well, what love never does, love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. It's interesting, in the original Greek, the word fails literally is translated dies. Love never dies. But figuratively, this phrase was rendered to say, love never falls away. It alludes to a flower whose petals never fall off, but stays fragrant and in bloom forever. And it, you know, you may know somebody from 40 years ago or something you feel really affectionate towards. That's why, because love never really dies. You, you keep it with you. There are lots of people you love along the way, and the, the love doesn't necessarily die. Another important note though, the King James Version of 1 Peter 4, 8 reads, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. 
The dictionary definition of the word charity is the voluntary and unselfish giving of help to those in need with no thought of reciprocation. With no thought of reciprocation. And that's the key. True love, real love, godly love, perfect love, charity is never conditional, is never expecting some kind of return, is always agenda free. Paul is saying all, above all things, that's A-L-L, -L, all things we must have fervent charity among ourselves, among ourselves. Fervent is from the Greek word ektenos. It means strained, stretched, intensively expanded beyond its normal capacity. And the word charity is agapao, it means godly love, perfect love, grace-filled love. What this tells me and tells us is nothing is more important to the body of Christ, to the heart of the church, than choosing to love one another above all things. That's us, gang, even if it takes everything we've got. One other note on this. The thing I like about the word charity for love is that charity must be given away or it's not charity. And it's also true about love. Love must be given away or it's not love. You can sit around in a cave loving somebody all you like, but it's not love. It has no activity. If you're not sending it out, you're not giving it. It's not really love, it's something else. Self-love, self-something, self-feeling. You've got to share the love inside you with other people. And this brings me back to the story of little Annie. There are two reasons why I wanted to share this story with you this morning. First, it shows us that we rarely know how much we have affected another person's life simply by pouring out God's love upon them. And this is the truth. You have no idea how many lives you've touched. One thing that's interesting with me is that I'm, I'm also a children's author, and I, I stopped doing it when I turned, when I, uh, when I turned 70 years old, because I wanted to apply more time to my ministries. Um, but I found out that the less I cared about it, the more famous I became. <laughs> I, it, it's, it's just gone on without me. I don't think about it, I don't worry about it, I don't do it. I'm only used to talking about it because it, it, when I let go of it, when I just turned it over, there's one more thing, I, Lord, you can have all this. Everything changed. And it will with you too. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I mean, little Annie turns out to be Ann Sullivan. And Ann Sullivan turns out to be who else? Helen Keller, and helped her overcome her dual handicaps of blindness and deafness. Wow, who'd have thunk it? But in the Gospel of John, there's a very interesting little story. Let me share this with you, John 21.1. After Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and, the two, and two other disciples were together. What caught my attention when I first read this was the mention of two other disciples. I mean, the list doesn't go on forever, but it's just been two more names. Why didn't they name them? I don't know. I don't know. It, it, you know why wouldn't they name them? I remember being at a pastor's conference and inventing a story about how these guys, these last two guys were omitted from John's Gospel. And I even gave them names. I named them Herman and Sherman. They were identical twins. And they raced down to find out where, how it all came out when John's book finally came out. And they found that they weren't in it. And I said, how, I wonder how they felt knowing that they'd been left out of it. And that's called being historically 
anonymous. And then we all laughed. Then later, I remember John Corson using my, my same story in one of his sermons, but he took it a step further. He said, do you want to know who those two disciples are? Yes. He said, well, I'm one and you're the other. And I'll say that here. <laughs> we are all historically anonymous. And that's how it should be. That's how it should be. You see, the beautiful Christian woman who came to visit Annie every day, who brought her food every day, who chatted with her every day, who read to her every day, who reached out to her every day, who loved on her every day, and who finally helped her to get well enough to start living a normal life, this woman is historically anonymous. There is no mention of her name anywhere in that. And yet, I'm sure she feels as wonderful as she would have felt if it had been known. This is interesting because in the um, Matthew's apostle, they, um, I mean, the, in his book, Matthew 6, 1 writes, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Isn't that an interesting thought? You're not supposed to be braggy. If, if you're getting something for being good, you're not doing it for the right reason. It's not supposed to help you be good. I mean, it's just... You reach out with love, you give it to people, you let go of it, and you hope that they get well from it. Finally, after the Last Supper, after the washing and wiping of the disciples' feet, after the rapid departure of Judas from the table, Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. By this, hear me, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's our challenge. See, God only wants one thing. He wants people saved. He doesn't want to lose any more people than he has to. And that's why our job is so important in this church. We have got to be the kind of people that attract others to Jesus Christ. How do you do it? By being a really good person, by being loving with people, by being loving with each other. Like my brother, seeing these people their families, all Christians, all really different, set apart and all that. And so I would just have you remember that this is not the first time I was talking about this. We are supposed to love one another. If you don't love somebody, go talk to them. There's a great story about um, um, Abraham Lincoln walking down the street with a buddy of his, looks across the street and he says, see that guy over there? I don't like him much. So I'm gonna go over there and get to know him better. And it's true, it works. Whatever you're thinking those bad thoughts about are not true. They may be in pieces true, but that's not who the person is. Normally, when you take the time to get to know somebody, even in here, they'll, you'll find that pretty soon you're, you're friends. It just sort of all happens. It all comes together. Anyway, this one, why are we here then? Final answer. We're here to receive God's love. Yes, but what are we doing here? We're here to share God's love, any way you can, any way you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you give each one of us, that you pour into us through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, may we use it wisely. May we use it without thinking of any return at all, just as we would 
giving charity to, to some concern, Lord, that, that you would do what needs to be done and all we have to do is release our tithes to do that, to help you do that. Lord, thank you for this wonderful group, this wonderful family that gathers together here every Sunday. We are extremely, extremely grateful to have one another. And Lord, I guess that you would I bless, I guess you, you could say I would love you just to keep blessing us the way you have for the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this morning I'm going to close with a medley of two songs, I Surrender All and Majesty. The words are in your bulletin, and I'll start with I Surrender All. Um, and then we'll roll into majesty. I'm only going to do the first stanza and the refrain. But on one final note, I would like to publicly acknowledge, acknowledge the great work Lenora Shop is doing on our bulletins. I've had three other churches. I've never seen anything like it. It's not only that they're good and they're almost error-free, they're so beautifully created. And she's so artistic, she can sing, play the piano, and she's also an artist. Makes me look bad. But thank you for the work you do. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The way you capture the mood of the seasons and the mood of, of Jesus Christ all together. Just had to say that. Anyway, here we go. And I love playing my guitar, so get ready. <laughs> I have this group of, um, what do they call, memory um, care people, or what do they call them, they, they can't think straight. I go out and see them every Wednesday and play mostly 50s rock and roll for them. And to see God lift the darkness of their lives is more than I can ever tell you. Just playing and singing for them, everything changes. It's the most amazing thing in the world. I dedicate it all to God, of course, not in front of them personally. But it's amazing, singing, I consider music to be God's language. He loves it. Um, so we're going to start off with I Surrender All. And that's because, as I said before, I truly believe if you will surrender all, you will find yourself having a much, much, much better life. It just happens. So here we go. Is it? 
Thank you all. Have a great Sunday, everybody.